So I'm here with CFRC 101.9 FM and we're backstage with Connor from Half Moon Run and I am so excited for this interview. I just told you I've been listening to this album on repeat. The way just something switched on in my brain when You Can Let Go came out and I have just been out ever since. Oh, that's great. That's so great. I'm it's just really excited to be doing this interview with you guys. Um, now you've been on tour. The album's been out for a few months now. First of all, just congratulations on the album because it's such a beautiful, evocative piece of work. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And you've been on tour now, just like playing this album all over the world, kind of. You've mm -hmm. just come back from Europe, mm -hmm. done the UK shows, uh, done the US shows. This is the home leg. Mm -hmm. How have people been kind of responding to the album, taking it all in? Oh, great, great. The tour in Europe was, was wonderful. The mm -hmm. shows in, in the UK, all across Europe, they were just, they were somehow better than I expected. I expected them to be good, but they were even better than I expected. And uh, yeah, you're right. This is the home leg. These are very big shows now. There's, well, yesterday in Toronto was a huge show. The history. And, history, yeah. And it was being like multi-track recorded by CBC as well. Wow. So it was a lot to keep in mind. Like they had cam like seven cameras. And so uh, that's a lot to, lot to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And then uh, two shows in Ottawa, then back home. But it's also been very long. I've been uh, in a new city every single day since early September. And that's, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, but the energy has still been kept up and people have been really enjoying the work. Like today's mm -hmm. show is sold out, the mm -hmm. Kingston show. And I, I mean, I, I, we talked about this a little before, but I had a friend who went to the Kentish Town Forum show in London and she said people were like sobbing their eyes out of that one at the end. Mm -hmm. So there's been a very emotional and very connected response to it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit just before the, inter the interview started. Um, I think... You know, a lot of bands, I think, maybe at our level and slight, slightly below, maybe, like, just couldn't survive the pandemic, you know? And so I, getting through that and then doing another big tour like this after the pandemic, there's a feeling of, um, like, we survived, you know? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't self-evident that we would survive um, just as a business, you know? Like, so much changed. and um, So, yeah, there's a, there's a victorious kind of feeling about it. it sure, and it, I guess it also makes the music feel so much more important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, just exactly like you say. It's, it, that this it's might a, not have happened. Exactly. This might not have happened. You don't take it for granted, that's right. For sure. And I guess it also has to do with the themes of the album itself, mm -hmm. because to my ear, it sounded mm -hmm. like it was a very cathartic mm -hmm. release, uh, writing process, where it seems like there's a lot of kind of heft um, and like there's, there's obviously conflict, turmoil and things like that that you're dealing with in these really calm, serene and like joyous outbursts. Mm, mm, that is wonderful description, a very <laughs> thoughtful, uh, thoughtful response. You're, you've almost, you've almost done the work for me by, by <laughs> describing it in those terms. You're right, you're, you're bang on about that. You're bang about on about that. Yeah. Um, th themes, for, in, in our group, I, I think we tend not to establish a theme before writing the music. Um, I, I, a lot of bands do work that way, but for whatever reason, we don't. And so the, whatever themes do exist on this record revealed themselves, you know, kind of after. And we're looking back and thinking, okay, what's the theme, you know? But the way I see it, you know, You Can Let Go um, has a different tone. It opens the record, and it has a different tone than a lot of our other music. The yeah, Devin's lead vocal is... Quite, uh, it's dark. It's 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 uh, it's psychologically disturbed, you know. And then it kind of has that opening up into the chorus. But that set that sets the tone, I think, thematically, psychologically, that there's going to be kind of uh, a descent into darkness, uh, and and hopefully some kind of a release at the end, um, like the title track "Salt," which is near the end of the record. To me, it almost has the aspect of. Uh, kind of like a modern spiritual, you know, I, I picture, it, it, it feels like a spiritual to me, like maybe kind of like a, 
a modern secular spiritual of some kind, you know, for the for for the new age, and so. Which is what music does anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's that's that. You're exactly right. Um, but anyway, I, I feel like uh, you might be able to describe the themes of the record better than me after that 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 great question. That's that's great to hear. Um, it's been a very like the the theaters and stuff that you've been playing on the tour as well. They've been like a very intimate experience, even though you've described them as like two thousand capacity venues, and even today the Kingston Grand is going to be like eight hundred people. But still, it feels like it's so kind of close to you guys. Maybe it's just because the music is so close to you guys personally. But it just feels like you draw the crowd in, and mm. you have this like this like collective experience is not just you playing to a crowd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. That, well, the theater venues are so great for that. When you're standing on a stage in a nice venue like the Grand tonight, mm-hmm. um, the, the way that they're, you know, I guess this is kind of self-evident, but the, the, the way that it's situated, it feels like people are right there with you, the way that you're encircled on yeah. multiple levels by, by people. Um, so that gives, that gives that kind of intimacy. And uh, also, you know, the acoustics are, are, are better in, in, in venues of this. Um, design and so that helps to draw people in as well mm-hmm. um, and this album it's been a bit of a step forward for you obviously it's your first post pandemic album it's your first album on a new label as well mm-hmm. and it's your first album in a while as a three piece mm-hmm. so how has that sort of experience influenced the album if it has in any way yeah 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 another excellent question um, <laughs> yeah I would say you know in the, in the early days so our first record we were a trio um, mm-hmm. and it there's a there's something similar about our first record and this record and how it felt to make because um, when you're making your first record nothing's guaranteed you know you don't know how people are going to respond you don't know if you have a career afterwards or whatever you know like it's just it's totally um, it's totally up to fate and and to the audience whether or not <clears throat> you're going to succeed and uh, there was that similar feeling on this record as well we, it was like as if we went back to our core you know when we were describe when I've been describing why we called it salt um uh i would say because to me it feels like we tried to target something elemental that we started with such a a a wide pool of of songs and and there was a distillation that we did to bring it down exactly boil boiling down you know bit down to like you know this essence salt which um our, our third record is called A Blemish in the Great Light, which is a very long title that's <laughs> it's kind of suggestive of maybe something more, what, what would you say, you know, less elemental, you know, more, more ornate. And, um, and that's how the vocals, I think the big stacked four-part harmonies on that third record are, are more ornate, whereas this record, to me, it feels anyway more emotionally and even sonically elemental. And as a trio, you know, like they say that the, the triangle is the strongest shape, mm-hmm. and um, and I feel like when we went from four, like I'm I'm holding up a shape of a square right now, but <laughs> that, down to three, there was something. It was as if anything there was there was no room for anything dilute. Every right. voice has to have its proper space in the sonic spectrum, and they have to be distinct yet complementary. The elements, and when when you when you find that kind of magic combination of distinctness and complementary those two aspects that's when i feel like like we're at our best anyway there's an alchemy there that that um that 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 alchemy was what gave me the courage to drop out of university in 2011 and pursue this project in the first place you know because mm-hmm. i just believe in that that chemistry so much yeah um i mean i guess it's sort of like everything falls into its own place and there's nothing kind of pulling away from it it's all yeah at its own center. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we like to say, um, 
uh, no playing along. So like, you know, like that would, you know, the, the band is playing, someone might be strumming along, it's like not allowed in this group. You're not allowed to play along. You have to be, you have to be singular. Every, uh, yeah. every piece has a purpose. Exactly right, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly right. And I mean, what you said before really leads me well into my next question, uh, which was that uh, there are demos on this album. Like you talked about going back to um, the early days and all that stuff. And there are songs on this album that have been around for a decade or so that you've now pulled up and you've kind of revisited it. So yeah. has, has that been like a very reflective process? And has this been almost like a kind of look back on yeah. Half Moon Run's career so far? Because it has been sort of 10-ish years since you guys put out your first album. Yeah. So is it like a 10-year kind of look back thing? Uh, yes, I, I would say so. Um, some of the material is newer and some of it's very old. Some of it even uh, predates our first record. And what's really wonderful about that is that you know, now I'm 33, so when, when, when we were recording the first record, I was actually only like 20 and 21. I turned 21 when we were recording the first record. And there are musical and creative decisions that you make in your early 20s that not only would you not make in your 30s, but you couldn't even come up with the things that you, you know, there's, there, what is it? There's, there's this beautiful kind of uh, naivety about being a youthful creative person. Um, you're not afraid of any kind of experimental limits, and you're also very open with your vulnerabilities and such things. And so um, being able to go back and find kind of these golden nuggets of youthful naivety, it felt almost like stealing, because it was like, you know, <laughs> but, it's, but it's, it's me, you know, so it's all right. I, it's like collaborating with a younger version of yourself, which I, I think that that's, there's something really beautiful about that. There's something, um, psychologically cathartic about it as well. You know, it, 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 it closes a loop. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. gives you a bit of closure on on that whole ten-year period. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, you've talked so much about catharsis on this album being a major theme as well. Right. So that's right. a really good way to like wrap it all in. Yeah, yeah. It's very annoying to have um, songs that feel like they have a lot of potential sitting in the closet, not working. You know, it's very annoying. It makes you feel like you haven't done your your job properly. And so we like crossed a bunch of them off the list on this. Like songs like the second track called Alco. Mm -hmm. um, like that that opening ukulele line is like so good, you know. That's yeah. Devin's open, opening ukulele line, and I think we all kind of felt like we had kind of failed ourselves by not doing it justice all these years because we tried to add it to Dark Eyes. Like we've been trying to put that song on all every record, and, and it's just stuck around in your head for all that while, probably well, eating away a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we would we would we would bust it out every like kind of few months or whatever, and give it another shot. And what kept happening was, you know, like. It's in very fast 16th notes, mm -hmm. and and so we would be building upon that, and it would feel great for the first minute, minute and a half, and then those 16th notes would start to feel incessant, and then you would get worn down, and the song would lose its effect, mm -hmm. but then we had trouble finding ways to establish space. Um, so we worked with our producer, and finally feel like we like we figured that out. A lot of that was just strictly sonic, you know, um, to, to make it feel like, yeah, like I said, those 16th notes weren't kind of on top of each other all the time and just uh, wearing you down. That was the main trick with that one. Mm -hmm. I mean, you described the technical aspect of it, but then it's also such a catchy pop hook, that chorus. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was what was really working about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we knew that that was, that the elements, the melodic elements particularly, were very strong, but um, it was an arrangement problem. Mm -hmm. it was, that's the same happened with the song called Nine Beat. Both of those were massive arrangement challenges because you can hear like they're extremely technical musically, especially nine beat. Yes. Um, and it's in a it's in a non-standard time signature nine eight. nine eight, but it switches to four four um, part way through. And one part is 
five over nine in the bridge, you know, that crazy bridge with all the violins. Mm -hmm. And the main challenge with playing in non-standard time signatures, especially if they switch between, um, is it sounds kind of mathy. Yes. So, you know, and that can be aesthetically distracting. I find it's kind of like, you don't want to be making a, you don't want people to know that you're in a non-standard time signature. I think mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's kind of, uh, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's just inelegant. It's inelegant to be, uh, yeah. And so anyway, that, that was, that was the challenge with that one. I think we got there too. Yeah. I mean, uh, someone had said that uh, a good jazz musician takes a complicated thing and makes it look easy. Yeah. And I mean, the other part of that, that they did say was that a rock musician takes something really easy and makes it look difficult. But I think you guys make it look easy. A jazz musician must have said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you guys are making it look easy, and it's also, I mean, coming back to the whole three-piece thing, um, people know what a three-piece looks like in a rock band setting, but then there's you guys going up with nine beat, two people standing around the drums, you and Devin just like bang away on it, and then mm -hmm. you run over to the keys to play a bit of a key line, mm -hmm. switch to the guitars. It's all a very striking look as mm -hmm. well. Right, right. Well, our main trick was to eliminate the bass player, you know, <laughs> which uh, the, we've, I've always, the joke is that a, uh, a bass player, one person, one note, you know, like it's just too inefficient. This is for Half Moon Run. You know, like you, if you're if you're in Half Moon Run, you had to play more than one note at a time. <laughs> Devin doing the finger picking. You've you've got it covered. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. get well, Dylan plays bass with on his keyboard, right? While he's right. playing drums. Right. as well. Yeah, exactly. Since he, like the more you learn about Dylan, our drummer, um, the more amazing it truly is. You know, like um, he's playing bass with his hand on a keyboard while drumming while singing, but. He's not just playing bass, he's also playing high synth lines in the same hand that he's playing bass with. But in order to make room for that, are you a musician? Yes. You are, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, in, in order to make room for that, he, has, he transposes each note so that it can wow. fit in one hand. So he's, if it looks like he's playing, you know, it looks like he's playing a D and then an, and then an E, he's really playing, you know, a C sharp and then an F sharp, but it, it, what, what, what looks like a whole tone. Wow. But, and, and so that, it's just unbelievable, right? Like that, that he's, uh, on the other hand, he loses his keys all the time and things like that. <laughs> so nobody's perfect. <laughs> I, I did notice a little bit of that when I was watching one of the CBC sessions you guys did. And it was like, I was like trying to keep track and counting and going, how many instruments is he playing at the same time? Maybe yeah. At least three. Well, and then on, on his feet, so he's got his foot on the, one foot on the kick drum and one foot on the hi-hat. And um, with his hi-hat foot, he'll often like be, uh, he'll, he'll remove it and hit a clap trigger. There's a trigger that goes, <laughs> that makes a clap sound. Mm -hmm. And then even more remarkably, so after, when Isaac uh, left the group, um, often what we would be missing the most from his departure was if Dylan's hands are occupied on, on a keyboard and it's, like, he, he's just completely occupied, yeah. the, the backbeat, the snare, you know, mm -hmm. the, and, and they're like, who's gonna play the snare? And so what Dylan did was rig up a, a kick drum pedal with a pulley system to a, to a stick, a drumstick that hits a snare drum, <laughs> so that often he's doing that, and then he's so he's playing the hi hat like that, and then so he's playing the snare with his foot as well. There's two snare drums on stage. I mean, we talked about how you didn't want to be classified as a math rock band, but there's a lot of physics going on over here. There's a lot of physics going on, but ideally, like nobody mm -hmm. really thinks about that except us. Um, <laughs> it's you just gotta get those uh, snare hits. Make in, it you know? look easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your instrument? Uh, I'm a guitarist. So oh yeah, okay. Much less complicated than all of that stuff that's going on. Hey, no, I mean, there's complexity in even yeah. the simplest of things. You get a lot of percussion on the guitar as well. Yeah, that's absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I also wanted to ask about sort of the beginnings and the influences a little bit. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's often this repeated story about how you guys met Devin through uh, a Craigslist ad yes. and how all of that ended up working out. And, but I wanted to know, was there a moment when, like, 
you know, when you met him, when you started playing or something, where something clicked and you just realized that this is going to work or this is what you want to be doing with this group of people mm. for life, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I, ha I have a good answer to that. Uh, there definite, most definitely is. Um, the, the very first jam that we went to together, well, I mean, it was the minute he opened his mouth. He's a fantastic singer. And yes. at that point, I was 19 and he was 24. He's 23. And um, the... Just the sound coming out of his mouth, I thought, this, this, he, this is a world-class singer. And you don't often meet world-class singers. And not only that, he's so melodically inventive um, that uh, I, I right away thought, just like, this is, this is incredible. And, but what started happening, so we started singing, he started singing, and then, you know, we started singing with him. And then we put our instruments down, and then, because we wanted to work out the harmony for this, like, kind of brand new idea that he brought to us on the first day. And so... Um, that what so putting the instruments down and then singing and finding the harmony at like you know just a cappella and really listening to the sound of each other's voices this was a massive breakthrough because most of the time when you go to the first jam with new people the way that people are trying to they're trying to assert themselves they're they're trying to make themselves heard they're trying to show you what they can do audition but yeah so so there's a very much a, a pushing outwards of sound that will be with the other people in the room which is, with Half Moon Run, it was the opposite. People were trying to coax in the sound from the other people, and there, so there was this beckoning, mm -hmm. and then, you know, kind of at the center of this mutual beckoning was this triadic harmony, and between that and the moment when Dylan first discovered that he's going to play bass on his, on his synth, it was like, click, click, and then we had our sound, you know, we mm -hmm. had the band. That's, <laughs> I also know. think most people, when they audition, they start off with, like, very instrumental stuff and then like the vocalist kind of gets decided later on. right right yeah that, that, which is okay too which is mm -hmm. okay too but um but yeah the harmonies are a big part of your sound as well they're they're at the at the very center they're at the very center of what we do singing together was um oh yeah i mean well your question was was there a moment and and when we first sung together that was the moment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean and there's like this very kind of classic music influence sort of folky mm -hmm. touches coming in but then there's stuff that you guys are doing right now like you had the collab collaboration with if i'm saying their name correctly Cree, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and the the fred again cover that you just put out mm -hmm. was all this really surprising electronic influences yeah so how do you manage to like marry those influences together just by just by liking them, you know, just by liking them and just trying to recreate them where we can. I think the the I think the earliest electronic influences, like do you know Brian Eno's music for airports, yes. you know that, and so those just gorgeous ethereal soundscapes that are made out of sampled instruments and slowed mm -hmm. down and backwards and all that, you know, um, just it when that, that that's just such an influence. And what what it, what is it about it? There's something inherently nostalgic about it. You know, Boards of Canada has that yes. sound too, you know, there's like this, um, there's a nostalgic sound about organically sampled instruments worked into electronic music, you know, yeah. Fortet has a bit of that sound too. We like it, well, there's artists called Burial a lot. Um, and uh, so yeah, electronic music trying to get, I think that that's, to me, if we were only a folk band, um, I, I don't think it would be that interesting. It's 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 combining the kind of the 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 skeleton of a of a folk project with these kind of ethereal colors. I think that what that's what people really like about this group. That is, it it, sure. it combines those things in, in in a nice way. That's that's what I like about this group too. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you when you brought up the nostalgic part of it, it kind of something just clicked for me as well. Where I think you guys have a little bit of that thing as well, where things sound sort of like they're in the past, but also timeless. Like, right. Right. Like that's what I find with like the Boards of Canada sound or with the, the Brian Eno sounds. Yeah. Is that it sounds like it's definitely a sound from the past, 
but mm. still just timeless. Right, like right. It still sounds like it could be happening right now. Right, right, exactly. The, the combination of sadness and beauty Somehow that is also a nostalgic feeling. That is salt. That's right. That's right. I know. I know. Yeah. I, and but there's so much. There's so there's so much richness in the, in that combination. Mm -hmm. You know, sadness and beauty. It's uh, it's it's like uh, it's just it's it's maybe it's because beautiful things don't last forever. You know, and that's sad. And that but that's what makes them beautiful. And and that's just uh, it's just it's a theme that never stops yielding fruitful, fruitful creative content, uh, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And I think the ephemeral point that you just touched upon, mm -hmm. that's what the live show is for. It's mm -hmm. something that people are going to come, they're going to experience, mm -hmm. and it's going to be just right now. So what can people expect from the show tonight? Well, we, we have our string quartet, and so that's, that's a, a not, not often that we have the privilege of having them. And so that adds, um, it adds kind of, it, it just, they, they, they used to be called Les Capelles, the Four Wings, and it, it does give kind of like this angelic quality to the, to, to the show. These uh, four wonderful women that we've been working with for 10 years, they're, they're, they're now called Esca String Quartet. So there, there's, a, there's an extra ethereal aspect there. There will be a lot of energy as well because we only have three shows left on this tour, and it's been three months, and so it's like... You know, we're coming around the bend for our final sprint, and uh, you know it'll have that feeling to it. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was um, started to feel like it almost might, you know, pop off the rails or something because that was kind of how it was last night. And like, uh, we're to, to to be perfectly honest, we're all at a bit of our wits' end with all this traveling, you know. And uh, so you just have to kind of. Almost like athletic, you know, like the you got one minute left on the on the on the <laughs> clock and you're exhausted, but you're gonna finish the damn game here, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like an indie rock, an indie focus show that's just threatening to become a rock show. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, we've organized the set list so that it plays into that as well. The the last couple songs are um, rock songs. <laughs> <laughs> really looking forward to that um what do, you, what do you guys have coming up because you told us a little bit about stuff that's on the way yeah. before we started recording yeah yeah so we just we did um some live sessions at the studio where we recorded salt which is called the treehouse and so we did that fred again cover we mm -hmm. did nine beat we did i suppose i suppose i'm not supposed to announce the other ones but there's three more coming one of which is a brand new song that didn't that we did, decided not to put on salt for salt has 11 songs on it and there is but we recorded 18 <laughs> <laughs> and the ones we left off um, it had nothing to do with quality it was just we wanted to make a cohesive um, piece uh, mm -hmm. uh, record and so we withheld um, other songs uh, which we very much look forward to putting out because some of my favorite material is on the you know the remainder and so one of those will be coming out in january and then i hope to do another um hopeful live session in the spring too to put to, like during covid i don't know if you saw we uh um did something we call them the COVID videos the COVID -videos. Yeah. yeah yeah and, the, and we made a record out of it mm -hmm. it was I forget, I forget if there was 10 or 11 or what um but that's quite nice to have a relic of time you know like that and so i would personally like i, I mean this is not even confirmed yet but i would personally like to do a full 10 song uh 
uh, live from the Treehouse album. And I'm I think sure I, I'm sure we would also like that. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With some new material and maybe another cover. And, you know. Mm -hmm. well, we really, really look forward to that. Um, have so much fun at the show, show tonight. We can't wait to hear from you guys again. Uh, I just have to say before we end the interview, your hat is really iconic. Oh, thank and you. And the round burn one, that is even more iconic. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. And I have to say, you ask excellent questions. This has been a very good interview. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs>